You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. Well, good morning, everyone. You can take your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter 2, and thank you uh, to the band for leading us once again um, in worship. And we're so glad that we're able to join together with, with one another in this way. And, um, and, and whether you are online or uh, at one of our many gatherings this weekend, we're excited about being together in this way and to be excited about God's Word. And 1 Peter chapter 2. And if you don't have a Bible, there are some at each one of the locations. And you can go and you can pick one of those up at the table. The ushers won't bring it to you. Uh, They will make sure that you are able to find it there on the table. Help yourself and keep it. That is our gift to you. We believe very much in God's Word. And we love working through passages and books of God's Word. And so we are working our way through 1 Peter. And we have seen how, how Jesus Christ is our living hope, how Jesus Christ is our only hope for life here on this earth and and, and for eternity to come. And I pray that every one of us today gathered together, whether you are watching online or you are at one of our locations, that my, my greatest hope and my greatest desire for every one of you is that Jesus Christ is truly your living hope. And, and that happens, and the only way this can happen is when a person individually And have you done this? Individually, personally realize that we are not the hero of our own story. When we realize we cannot save ourselves, we cannot do enough good in order to earn God's favor. We cannot work hard enough to earn our way to heaven. And and in order to find true and lasting hope and joy here on this earth and peace that passeth the understanding of the storms that will come, it can only be found in Jesus Christ. And, and we understand that we can't or we won't get to heaven on our own or experience all the glories that God has for his children apart from Christ. And, and this happens personally in our lives when we recognize that Jesus Christ, the perfect Son of God, came to this earth, lived a perfect life, and submitted himself to his Father's will. And he allowed the evil the deceived, governing authorities of the day to accuse him and to judge him unfairly and sentence him to the death that was only fit for a criminal. And he died a sacrificial death on on a cross in our place, taking upon himself, absorbing the sin penalty, the wrath that we deserved. And so anyone and everyone who believes And that word believe is so important. It's just not in the head, but submits and surrenders their life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, are forgiven and are in an instant placed in right standing before God, justified before God. And in a moment, a person's heart and identity and future and eternity are changed forever. Now look at at verse 9 of 1 Peter chapter 2. We've looked at this a couple of times in the last few weeks, but it's a good starting point for us today. And, And this is, here is the result. Here is the result of Jesus Christ being our living hope. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. As a result of this salvation, we are now proclaimers of, proclaimers of Christ. 
We have been chosen. We are his special possession. He loves us, but he has also now commissioned us to be proclaimers. Our lives are to bear witness of the gospel work that has taken place. We are to live in a way that supports our proclamation, though, as we go out through our week. Now, now this would be us today. Uh, for, for many of us who have gathered together, we are one church in multiple gatherings. And, and if you're joining us online, we're thankful for that and we welcome you. But he, we have been proclaiming Christ for the most part in these three locations together as the body of Christ. Many of you gathering this weekend, we're so thankful for that. Proclaiming Christ in worship. Proclaiming Christ as we set everything aside and we say, hey, we're getting together with God's family. And whether you have set things aside and you're watching online and you've taken this time, we are taking time to say Christ is important. That's the way we proclaim, proclaim him. We're proclaiming him right now through his word as the church gathered. But then, as we leave from the services today, and for the rest of this week, we are now the church scattered. We are scattered all out, all throughout the central Okanagan or wherever that you are watching from. And we are to be proclaimers wherever we go of the excellencies of Christ in all that we do, in all that we say. However, our message and our witness as proclaimers is oftentimes magnified or it's minimized or nullified through our actions, through our reactions, and oftentimes through our attitudes. And so we must be very mindful of this, that our message, the message of Christ, can oftentimes be so minimized, magnified or nullified. One of those, it's going to happen. And today we see, we're going to be seen in God's word as we continue here in, in, in 1 Peter, that we are to be proclaimers of Christ to our governing authorities. When we started uh, this sermon series, and actually it was back in, in early 2020, when we were looking over the sermon uh, possibilities and, and, and the elders decided that, hey, we need to be studying the book of 1 Peter. At that time, we had no idea how this passage we're going to look at this weekend, at least I know in my own life and in many of the conversations that I'm having with many of you, how timely this passage would be. But God in his sovereignty knew this full well. And so we're going to be studying this together. You see, when I think of society and, and probably, and, and also my own heart, I would probably kind of summarize society and oftentimes my own heart, even right now, my family at times and others that I talk to, there's one word that describes it and it is the word triggered. I've been using that so much lately, and some of you right now are laughing because you've heard, that, heard me talk about this. There, we are such a triggered society. There are such high levels of confusion, anger, chaos, fear. You watch the news, social media. You see the comment sections in social media, the letters to, edit, to editors, the and the battles and the debates. Talk to strangers while you're in line to get into some store or restaurant or, or, or talk to family members or friends. Everyone has strong convictions on what is going on and what the solutions are. Everyone does. And it, and it all of this leaves people to be so sensitive, so tired, so emotionally drained and divided and physically and, and, and emotionally just spent. 
And whether it's concerns over the government restrictions or the overreach or concerns about the overreach of, of, of the government using COVID-19 to further um, agendas that, that we're concerned about, or the way that nations are being thrust into debt that will be virtually impossible to, to ever recover from. And then we have the debates, don't we? The maskers and the anti-maskers and the vaxxers and the anti-vaxxers. Do you go to school or you don't go to school? Pandemic concerns and fears or pandemic concerns and fears of what all of this is causing. Leaving people to ask, what's going on? What do we believe? We are so mixed up and so confused. And there are those that, that, that live in, in a great fear of the virus and doing everything to protect themselves. And then there are those who have absolutely no fear and are li- living very footloose and fancy free. You have liberals and conservatives. You have Republicans and Democrats. Such division leading to arguments and outbursts, whether it's online, on the streets, in schools, in the stores, in the shopping malls. There are peaceful protests, and then there's not so peaceful of protests. So much division, so much anger. What are we to do in all of this? What are we to do? How are we to act towards one another when we have different opinions and convictions? It, are we, try, are we supposed to try to get everyone to believe what we believe? How do we respond and respect governments in light of what we're going to see in God's word today whose actions and moral character is questionable, even criminal, perhaps? How do we respond when there are systematic, targeted attacks upon biblical values? Where it seems we live in a society where a government has allowed immorality to have special protection and biblical values and truths are disregarded and thrown out. How do we respond? What now should we do in light of all of this? How do we live? I think of Corey Tenboom, who is just a hero of faith, who took a stand with her family, risked her life, and even spent time in a Nazi concentration camp in order to save the lives of Jewish people. She wrote this. What a great quote. If you look to the world, you will be distressed. If you look within, you will be depressed. If you look at God, you will be at rest. Folks, our only hope in all of this is Jesus Christ. And we can and we must trust and place our confidence in him. And we can do that by putting our trust and our confidence in the word of God. And before we get into our text today, I want to set up some guiding principles that I believe are important. These are guiding principles that we need throughout our lives, but especially as we look at this text, and especially as we look at what's going on in our world today. And here's some guiding principles for us today. First of all, affirm the authority of God's word. This is the utmost importance that, that as believers in Christ, if we are believers in Christ, if we are truly in Christ, We're also going to take and we're going to affirm the authority of God's word. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, it says all. And and last time I checked, that word all means all. And so it says all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God would be, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Folks, this here is the word of God. All of it. It is to have supreme authority in our lives. And as Jesus Christ, the Son of God, submitted himself to the authority of God the Father, 
we are to submit to the authority of God's word in our lives. So guiding principle for our life, a guiding principle for our message today, we need to affirm the authority of God's word. Second one is guiding principles is let's not pick and choose passages. Let's not be like smorgasbord kind of Christians. Take a little bit of this, take a little bit of that. You see, we, or and, and me included in this, can easily and quickly criticize other Christians. We may call them liberal or progressive churches or progressive teachers or theologians or pastors. We may criticize them for the way that they focus on certain scriptures and totally ignore other scriptures. And so, hey, we can't be guilty of that either. We, when we take God's word and as we see it today and we apply it to government, we can't pick and choose. We need to follow God's word. Third guiding principle is context is king. It's vital that we study not just a verse, just kind of like, kind of do, uh, you know, just pick a verse here, again, kind of like smorgasbord, but now it's important that as we take a verse that we study the larger context in which it is written, or we may be guilty of misunderstanding or misrepresenting God's word. Today there's going to be, I, I hope you have a pen, I hope you have paper. If you don't have a pen right now, go and get one at the back table or go wherever you have one in your house, get one because there's going to be a lot of scripture verses. And I'm encouraging you to be reading it, reading these verses, reading it in context even more than, than what I've given you because it's important we build our lives. That's why we tell you, bring your Bibles, write down the references, and then today, later on this week, Go home, study, and read, and build your life on the truth of God's word. Uh, some of us were awakened early Thursday morning of this week with a windstorm that, that was like, um, people were, it was 80 kilometers an hour, and I'm thinking, that's just like a gentle Saturday afternoon breeze on the prairies, but here in the Okanagan, an 80 kilometer an hour wind can be very destructive. It knocked down trees and power lines across the city. And later in the day on Thursdays, I was driving home from, from church. This was just down from the church office. Uh, we see that this happened right on Gordon Drive. Look at this. I mean, just the up, how this tree was fell over, uprooted. It came crashing down. It's been a tree that's been there for many years. Look at the size of that trunk, that stump that's left. Why did this happen? How did this happen? The winds blew, but the roots did not go deep. They did not go far. And this can be very similar to what can happen in our own lives. We need deep roots. Deep roots that go down, that spread out to withstand the storms that are coming. And so we need to be rooted in the word of God. And then the fourth guiding principle, we need to ask God to speak to us through his word. You see, one thing that I'm finding out about myself through all of this is that there is a lot of fight in me and oftentimes not enough Christ in me. I like to fight. I like to defend. I love to give my opinion. And I need God's word in my life, and I've needed it more this week in my life than I've needed it in a long time. Oh, that we would be people, ultimately, as we ask God to speak to us through his word and we bring ourselves under the authority of God's word in humility, as we don't pick and choose passages but study it in, in context, would we be a people that are transformed by God and not triggered? Isn't that important that we not be 
triggered, but instead be transformed by God. Not triggered by the circumstances of this world, but be transformed. And so today, as we dig into our passage, I'm just going to stop even right now, and I'm going to pray for us. Just would you bow with me in prayer? Oh God, I pray that even now that we would live out these guiding principles, that your word would have that authority in our lives, that your word is truth. And we believe that when we build our lives on it, there is strength and there is stability, that, that, that we wouldn't just pick and choose verses we like, that we would study your word in context and even help us today. I pray that you would guide my words today for your people. And God, I pray that we would be then transformed by your spirit today, by your word. So do that good work in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. And so today, as we now dig into our text here in 1 Peter, I encourage you to write this down as proclaimers of Christ. As proclaimers of Christ, because this is our calling, we submit to governing authorities. This is what he calls us to do. And you see this is in verses 13 and 15. And first of all, verse 13, it says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him. We'll just stop right there. Some very troubling, very disgusting words in there that we may not like very much. (laughs) It says, be subject. That means to come under, to come under the authority of. Be subject to every, underlining your Bibles, every human institution. God is telling us that we are to obey the laws of the land. From government to police, children to your parents, to teachers, professors, librarians, even mall cops. Yes, even mall cops have an authority over us when we're in the mall. And we are to obey. Not so that we just don't get arrested or get a fine, you know, for our overdue library books or for a speeding ticket or to get grounded by your parents. That's not why we ultimately obey. It says we do this for the Lord's sake out of a loving obedience to God. We do it to honor him. And and listed now are even more verses. Take your time, write down these verses from Romans 12, Romans 13, Romans 14, Romans 15, Hebrews 12, and and Hebrews 13. Important verses, and and again, study them this week in context. And and there's even other verses that, that could easily go along with this as well. Even write down right now, whatever you're doing, Matthew 22. Matthew 22, 15 to 22. That, that one is about paying taxes. not going to like that one. Maybe you don't want to write it down. Matthew 22, 15 to 22. And here we see from God's word that government, even though oftentimes occupied, our government offices are occupied by very fallible, very messed up, very broken people, they have been appointed by God. Daniel chapter 2. Uh, you can write down that one as well. Daniel chapter 2, 21. God dis- deposes kings and he raises others up. You see, our God is sovereign. He's in 100% control 100% of the time. And he is not right now, he is not stressed, he is not pacing, he's not chewing his nails about what he sees happening here on this earth. Write down Proverbs 21, verse 1 and 2. And it says there that God can turn the, the king's heart He can turn the heart of a king. Even Jesus, write down John 19, verse 11. John 19, verse 11. Jesus, as he stood before Pilate, and Pilate was kind of thinking, yeah, I've got this. And even Jesus reminded him, not in a cocky way, he just reminded him, you have no authority except what is given to you from heaven. 
And Paul says something similar to what Peter has just told us. And please encourage you to be reading these passages this week. This is from Romans 13, one of those passages there. And it says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, Whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist incur judgment. So when we resist authority, we are actually not just resisting the authority of the government. We are actually resisting the authority of God himself. And I know some of you right now, your blood pressure is like spiking. Because mine has been this week as I've wrestled through this. This is so... It's real. How do you submit to a government when there's so much about their lives, their beliefs, their policies that you disagree with, that that go against God's word? Or that you believe about our government officials where it's crystal clear that they are corrupt, that they're evil, even criminal. What do you do then? Yet God's word says we are to respect and submit to the and obey those who are in authority over us. And I know this is rubbing some of us the wrong way. You say, but they don't have presidents or prime ministers or premiers or governors or mayors or politicians running for these offices. Or they don't have the CDC like we have today. Or we don't have medical doctors overseeing our nation or, or, or Canada. No, they didn't have any of that in in, in Peter's day. They had Nero. And Nero was way worse than any person that you are just imagining from our current day and age that we're living in. Nero hated Christians. He hated Christianity. And based on a lie that he spread, he instituted an empire-wide persecution of Christians that just as Peter's writing this is, ex- is just totally accelerating, escalating in, in all facets of the persecution and suffering throughout the Roman Empire. And that included using Christians as human torches covered in tar, covered in pitch, and turned into human torches to be burned at his garden parties and along the roadways to remind people that Nero was the emperor. Peter, a few years after writing this book, writing this letter to the Christians, he was crucified for his faith, following Jesus by being crucified. But he was crucified upside down. And this was done at the hands and the command of Nero. Now, I believe that oftentimes God does give us nations or or god gives to nations the government that they deserve politicians let's face it they're supposed to be representatives of the people and you know what sadly they are aren't they they're very good representatives of the people my wife charlotte worked at revenue canada for many years and in the area of personal and also in the area of small business taxation auditor And she would say so affirmingly that our politicians represent our nation very well. Because within our nation, we're seeing what is being lived out on the governmental scale. One pastor wrote this, The increasingly secular West 
is only just beginning to experience the level of hostility that the first century believers faced. And the 21st century persecuted church, which is happening even now, today where more more than likely hundreds of Christians will be persecuted and put to death for their faith in Jesus Christ. This goes on. The 21st century persecuted church experiences every day what the early church was experiencing. It is this type of state that Peter tells the Christians to submit to. And notice this. encourage you to write this down. This is the will of God. And when we see this in Scripture, this is the will. People always wonder, what's the will of God for my life? And we see number of times through the New Testament, we see this is the will of God for you. In Thessalonians, it talks about this is the will of God that you abstain from sexual immorality. And it goes on from there. But here we see for the, in verse 15, for this is the will of God for us to submit to our governing authorities. That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. This is God's will for us as his children. It's plain and simple. God's will is that we obey and submit to those in authority. And as we do this, it will silence the ignorant. You see, Christians in Peter's day, Peter's day were accused of, 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 of many different things. They were accused of causing trouble in society. They were seen as anti-government because they would not be involved in the emperor worship that went on in that day because they worshiped King Jesus. They were seen as rebels. They were seen as terrorists. They were seen as cannibals. They were figured, and, and, and people assumed that they were cannibals because they practiced the Lord's Supper in a um, way that they would eat the bread, or the bread representing the body, the, the wine representing the blood of Christ, and for some reason they took that and said they're cannibals. They accused them of sexual immorality and orgies because, and, and here's why, is because they loved feasts, they loved eating, they loved gathering, they loved hugging one another, and so they were accused of orgies. And Peter says that as we live as good citizens, we will put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. That's where in verse 12, we covered this last week, live such godly lives among the pagans, live such godly lives amongst the lost, that though they revile you, though they accuse you, that one day they will glorify God on the day of their salvation. Second, what we see here is proclaimers of Christ, we are to understand the role of government. Look in verse 14, we see this. Or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. So government's job, punish those who do evil, praise those who do good, and you say, I don't know if that's really happening anymore. And, and, uh, and, and, And yet, as bad as we think things might be for us here in Canada or in the United States, what we have today is better than what many countries have in our world. Or when there is no government. When there is no government, and we're starting to see this at times, there's complete anarchy. When corrupt governments, even though corrupt governments might be corrupt, they still hold society in check to some degree. And without some form of government, it would be absolute chaos. When you say, well, okay, so they're kind of holding back evil a little bit. We do have jails. We do have a judicial system. We may at times question some of the decisions that are made. 
but we do see this happening where they are punishing those who do evil. But they're not praising those who do good. And sadly, I mean, I kind of thought about it this week, sadly, our police are so busy in other areas that you, they just simply can't pull people over and, and, and uh, you know, turn on the lights, pull them over and say, you know what, you are such a good driver, you deserve a gift card. Here's a gift card for some coffee and donuts on us. They don't have time for that kind of thing. But you know what, government has still, and they started this years ago, in the past, they recognized churches and other organizations that do good in the community by giving tax breaks and charity status to help further the work. And so in that way, they are praising those who do good. Now, we've been very thankful for that, but however, we don't know how much longer that will stick around um, in, in the days that we're living in. And I believe that God may be calling some of you to get involved, to get politically active in various ways. And God may be, be um, pushing some of you towards that. All of us, though, can be, we can be involved in, in writing letters, in making phone calls, in protesting peacefully and respectfully. There's nothing wrong with, 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 with sharing our views, and, and, and it's within our rights to do that. And I believe some of you should get involved in politics to run for office. If God is laying that on your heart, a brother of mine who lives in Regina called me a few weeks ago. And he said, hey, just want to bounce something off you. I'm considering running for the school board in our city. What do you think? And, and as he told me about it and just knowing his involvements in ministry and his involvement in life and his family, I'm like, yes, 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 that makes total sense. They need a voice like yours in the, the, the school board there in the city. And, um, and, and I, I trust that there will be those in our church that God may be um, signaling to, to get involved in, in politics in one way or another. But however we do it, we do it as unto the Lord. But here's something else. I encourage you to write this down. But there's also, understand this, there's also a time to resist and disobey. God's word is clear about this. There's a time to resist and disobey. And there's some scripture verses that, that give us some, some precedence for this. We see this in Acts 4, Acts 5, and Daniel 3, and Daniel 6. However, here's, here is a reality when it comes to this. We often tend to buck against the rules that we don't particularly like that much, that we maybe think are dumb, and we don't have to follow them, rather than, rather than buck against the things that transgress God's word. And there are times that we are to obey God rather than man. You see, when God's law, when man's law goes against God's law, when we are being commanded to sin or not to follow what God's word clearly outlines, then we are to disobey. We can disobey God's word. In, in passages in Acts and Daniel, we see where God's people disobeyed the laws of the land. Peter himself, he was told in Acts 4 not to preach, not to preach Jesus. And instead, he ended up saying, we, we must obey God rather than men. We're going to continue to preach. And he did. He suffered consequences for it, but continued on, and the gospel moved forward. In submitting to authority, we are never to disobey the commands of God. All right? That's very important. There are certain lines that we can never and should never cross. 
even if the government tells us we are to do that. If our government tells us one day that we cannot preach that Jesus is the only way of salvation, we're not going to change our message. The same is true when it comes to the sanctity of marriage, to the sanctity of human life, that life is precious outside the womb and inside the womb, and we value that. Or that there, when governments tell us that there is, and, and for us, we believe there is only one form of marriage that we can celebrate and that we can perform ceremonies for, and that is between male and female. There is a time to say no, a time to disobey. There is a time for civil disobedience, but we do it politely, we do it respectfully, and we are seeing even now, many of us are, are no doubt watching some of the churches in California where specifically they are taking a stand against the government. Now their laws and constitutionally are set up different in the United States than in Canada for churches uh, in particular. But then you have a president in the United States stating that churches are an essential service. So he is like the emperor. And then you have the governor below him who is very specifically targeting churches and even specific small group gatherings, making it impossible for them to meet the list of conditions in order to, to meet. And so churches are defying this. But please listen, any decision to defy the laws of the land must be done with much prayer and careful study of Scripture in God's Word. These passages like Acts 4, Acts 5, Romans 13, 14, 1 Peter 2, what we are looking, 1 Corinthians 8 is another passage. I encourage you to write down that reference. We must do it in light of God's Word and with others that are standing and praying with us and for us in this. I was talking to a pastor friend of mine in Calgary who is part of our church network. And he said recently the uh, city of Calgary has given us two ordinances, two restrictions that we are to follow. And, uh, and he says, one we're following, one we're not. He said, one, they're making us wear a mask when it, it comes to worship gatherings. And even when it comes to singing, they have to be wearing masks. And they also told him, the city of Calgary told the churches, told the Christian, or the biblical counselors, you can't preach Romans 1, or basically saying that conversion therapy is wrong. And the pastor said, we will respectfully, not excitingly, wear our masks in church. And we will respectfully, 100% disobey the other ruling. And we will preach and proclaim that Jesus Christ can and does and will set people free from gender confusion and from same-sex attraction. Here at Hope Kelowna, we are following the guidelines given to us from our government officials as we do not believe that the church at this time or that the gospel is being targeted when it comes to churches and COVID-19. If things change, we will need to make some important decisions prayerfully. In fact, I believe that even though we do not like what is happening, we don't like these restrictions, we don't like that we can't be all together gathering together on a Sunday morning, this can be a very exciting time for the church. It's not time, like we said in the family chat, it's not time for us to retreat, but to press forward. The mission marches on to be the church gathered, and then throughout the week, the church scattered, people on mission for God. And then fourthly, I encourage you to write this down. As proclaimers of Christ, we live freely as God's servants. 
Look at what it says, verse 16 and 17. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Verse 17, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Hope Church, life is short, eternity is too long to make our political identities that we may be living for and living with right now, our primary identity. Remember, if we are in Christ, our primary identity, our primary passion, our primary desire is to be proclaimers of Christ. Our lives ought to point people to Jesus in all that we do. And we are told how to do this very clearly. Verse 17, honor everyone. This means we value, we esteem, we see the worth in all people. Recognizing that every human being, no matter how scum of the earth they may be, are image bearers of God. Yes, marred and broken and messed up, yet everyone is loved by God. And so we are to honor all because as we honor others, as we honor all people, we honor God. Recognizing that God loves all people and he desires to save, that people would be saved, all people would be saved. And then also love the brotherhood. What's he talking about? He's talking about us. This is us. That we would love the brotherhood. We would love the body of Christ, the family of God. And it's not easy. It's not easy, is it? It's not easy to love our earthly families. It's not easy to love our church families. We are all different. We have different experiences, background, age, experiences, things that have happened in our life. We have different views. Some will never change. But we unify around Christ. We love, serve, forgive, encourage, bless, do good, care for one another. Think of Jesus and his disciples. Man, talk about a hodgepodge group of people. Just like the people you're with today, hodgepodge group of people. And yet God places us together as his disciples, as his followers, to be his proclaimers. And, and for Jesus, you had Simon the Zealot, part of an extremist group that despised Rome as well as any Jew that cozied up to Rome. They, they sought, um, for anyone who, who tried to cozy up and, and, and have peace with Rome, even if they were Jews, they would work violently to eradicate them. In fact, so extreme that they would, often, they would carry knives, they would carry weapons with them in order to kill at any time. So you have Simon the Zealot and then you have Matthew the tax collector, someone who's collecting money for Rome. Talk about two opposite ends of the scale when it comes to people. You couldn't get more opposite. And I don't know if early on in Jesus' ministry there was times when he was like, they were heading into a house, you know, to go do some ministry. He said, hey boys, leave your knives at the door. This is a no-knife zone. I don't know if it went like that. But here we see Jesus models this in his own disciples, the ability to bring people who would or should never get along into his family. And they learn to love. They learn to forgive. They learn to serve. They learn to do ministry with one another. Love the brotherhood. Oh, hope Church, would we love the brotherhood? Would we love one another? Would we serve one another? And then we see fear God. This is an affection. This means a reverence for God, a respect and an awe that we owe to God. This is where we esteem him above all things and above all people. This is where we desire to seek his glory, not our own. Fearing God in this way is the beginning of wisdom. You want to be wise? It starts with fearing, revering, worshiping God. And when we fear God, he gives us his strength, his power, his wisdom, his love. And then finally, honor the king. One of the greatest ways we can honor the king is rather than using our mouths to criticize and to condemn, oh, that we would pray. 
for our kings? Would we pray for those in authority? Pray that they would humble themselves before God and receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Could you imagine what would happen if our political leaders got saved in, our, in, in North America? Amazing. Pray that they would make wise and godly decisions. Pray that they would embrace the role of government to punish those who do evil and to praise those that do good. This is the word of God. Let's pray together. Bow your heads. Before I pray for us, I just want you to think for a few moments. Some of us perhaps have too much fight in us and not enough Christ. And I trust that even now that you would take and you would pour your heart out to God. And when you do that, you would look over and think about God's word. The word that we've heard today, allow that to wash over your life. And perhaps you would be one today that you'd say, yeah, I'm pretty triggered. In fact, I'm even still triggered right now. Maybe you're triggered with fear, worry, or anger, frustration. Can I remind you that the trial and the the trials, the beatings, the cross, and the subsequent death of Jesus was the worst political verdict, the greatest conspiracy based on wrong and faulty information in the human history, not COVID-19. And Jesus could have been angry, he could have resisted, and yet he submitted to his Father's will. And he cried, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And then he entrusted his soul to God and rested in the hope of the resurrection. Many Christians have been doing this for centuries and following Jesus in this way. May we do the same. So Father, I pray even now that we would quiet our hearts before you. We would repent of areas where we need to repent. We, need to, we, we would trust you in these areas of confusion and frustration and anger. God, I pray that flowing out of our hearts in a growing, growing way, in a way that would honor you, are people that would love and pray and submit to those in authority. Even though some of it seems overreaching and over the top at times, oh God, would we live lives that would bring you honor, that would silence the ignorant, by our lives, because they see Christ changing us, that we're not triggered. We're going from triggered to being transformed by your word, by your spirit. Do that good work in all of us. We need it. We need you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.